So, brothers and sisters, I have a question. I often like to do that. Start with a question. Where were you this past Wednesday at 1.30 p.m.? When the rioters stormed up the steps of the Capitol building and broke the doors and the windows and went inside to trash the place. Or where were when you first heard about it or saw the footage on the news? I know exactly where I was. I was in my living room and we had turned on the TV because we wanted to watch the counting of the electoral college votes. I will probably remember that for the rest of my life. Just like I remember sitting in my high school biology class on the morning of November 23, 1963, when suddenly the door opened and our principal stuck his head in the room and he said, President Kennedy has been shot. Pray for him. And I'll remember it just like I did on the morning of November 11, 2001. I was out in a pick-your-own garden field and those planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York City. And I remember driving home and listening to the news as it came in about that. And then a day later, I was in Ottawa at the time, doing the church plant. A day later, tens of thousands of people gathered on the grass in front of the parliament buildings in Ottawa in support of the United States after that tragic attack. Those things were so traumatic and so life-shaking and so impacting that they are permanently burned to my memory. And unfortunately, it seems that we have so many of those kinds of events that are happening over the last several years. And this past year has had its share as well. There have been huge storms, record-setting forest fires, there have been riots, there have been tragic shootings, and pandemic. And all of these things, they shake us. They unsettle us. And, and their impact is made even worse when people take those things and they stoke our fears and they make us even more afraid. And they point the fingers and say, well, it's the strangers among us. They're the problem. And they try to make us be afraid of them as threats to our well-being. And then they tear apart the fabric, what's called social fabric of our communities. And all of these kind of things make us vulnerable because we are looking for help and we're looking for solutions to deal with these overwhelming life-altering events. And we become easy prey for conspiracy theorists who say, oh, I can explain it all. This is how it goes. Or 
we are easily manipulated by the loudest voice who says, oh, I've got the answers. Uh, I've, the, the solution is simple. Just do this, do that. And we struggle to know what to do. And even as Christians, sometimes we become vulnerable because of our awareness that often these kind of events can be labeled signs of the times. And we know that God sends these things, and sometimes they are judgments that call us to repentance and to seek his help in those times. And and we can be prayed upon by people saying, well, you know, you've got to join this group or this cult or whatever. You've got to go live out in the mountains or whatever. And they take away the joy of the Lord and the peace of Christ that we can have. And so this morning, I have chosen this passage in Matthew chapter 24, because in it, Jesus gives some very sound and stabilizing teaching that will help us deal with the kind of times that we're living in. We could have many questions that come up when we talk about the reality that Christ is going to come again. And he'll come on the clouds of glory with great power and, and God's holy angels and he'll overthrow evil and he'll make all things new again and he'll come to judge the living and the dead. It raises lots of questions for many people. But thankfully, as all of this happens and as we wait for that second coming of Christ, Jesus gives us this teaching to equip us to help us uh, put our hearts at rest so that we can be faithful followers of him as we await for that great coming day. And I'm going to call that help that he gives us in here filters. And I call them filters partly because filters purify whatever goes through them. And uh, even a filter like sunglasses, it filters out the harmful rays that could damage our eyes. And uh, we need filters to do that for us. And so here, too, we could think of Jesus' teachings as a truth filter. And so we can take many of the things that we hear or that we're experiencing and, and pass them through this teaching of Jesus so that the harmful things can get filtered out. And we will be left with what's safe and what's helpful to live by. And I I do that especially because if you remember one day when Jesus went up the mountain with his disciples and Moses and Elijah appeared to him there, We call that the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was changed, and the glory of God shone from him. And the voice of God came and said, This is my son. And and I'm, I'm getting just ahead here. Moses and Elijah were there with him. Moses represents the law, and Elijah the prophets, all of the Old Testament. And God said, this is my son, listen to him. 
And that was his way of saying Jesus fulfills everything that was given before in the Old Testament. It, it, it has to be filtered through him. And Jesus then inaugurates the New Testament, all that is given after it. So Jesus is the one through which the whole Bible needs to be understood. And so this teaching here in Matthew 24 is especially good that way then for all those things that talk about the end of time and the things that will happen. That we see it through this teaching of Jesus. And when we listen to this chapter, then we should realize that it, it was triggered by the fact that in chapter 23, Jesus was finished with the Pharisees and the teachers and and he more or less was saying judgment is going to fall on you judgment is going to fall on this temple it's done and he is turning his back on the temple and he's walking away and in the book of Matthew he never teaches in the temple again it's done and the disciples are stunned you know this is a temple this is a great wonder of the world this is an amazing thing and they want to point out to Jesus, look, look at this temple, you know. And yeah, Jesus is saying, no, this is done. And the disciples are asking a question. Well, when is this going to happen? These three things, the destruction of the temple, the end of the age, and the sign of your coming. When, when's that going to happen? And Jesus doesn't really answer that directly. Instead, he gives us these helps to wait for all these things to take place. And he speaks like a prophet because sometimes the prophets' prophecies would be immediately fulfilled, sometimes much later, and sometimes even later yet. They have multiple levels of fulfillment. And that's true in this teaching as well. But the first filter that Jesus gives us is in verse 4 and 5. And he's saying, well, be aware. There will be many false teachers who will come in my name. They will claim to represent and to be the real Messiah. And, you know, today we don't have so many people who are saying that they're the Messiah. But we do have people who say, oh, guess what? We have found some more Gospels we have found some hidden Gospels, Gospel of Thomas, and others like that, and they're the real ones, they're the missing ones, and they lead people astray. And, uh, yeah, you have to be aware of that. And in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 8, Jesus specifically says that many false teachers will come claiming the time is near, and he says, do not follow them. Jesus warns that anyone who says, I know the day and the time, they're false teachers. And that should be very, very helpful for us because there are groups. The Jehovah's Witnesses have done it. The Mormons have done it. There was a big church called the Armstrong, I forget what the full name was. They've done it. And there are other smaller groups that do it. They, they pick a date. Oh, it's going to be 2021 or it's going to be 2055 or whatever. Jesus says, no, 
They're false teachers if they do that. Do not let them deceive you. Don't be gullible or naive. And we must not jump to conclusions or be easily led when it comes to Christ's return. And I take that to mean that that Jesus is saying you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism when you hear that. When you hear those kinds of interpretations of events or even their interpretations of Scripture. Don't be deceived. But when you take the opposite side of that, then it means you have to be educated. You have an obligation to educate yourself about these things. We, we have to know what to expect in order to detect or filter out the things that aren't about the truth of the Lord's coming or of God's will. So that's the first filter. Exercise theological sanity and sobriety. Be level-headed. Do not be deceived. Then there's a second filter in verses 6 to 8. He says there will be great social and political upheaval and natural disasters and troubles. And in the Gospel of Luke, where this message of Jesus is also recorded, he adds pestilences, maybe things like pandemics. But you notice when you read this that it is in the passive tense. Uh, and, and when, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, when things are put in the passive, that's the author's way, that's Matthew's way of saying it's God who is the actor. God is the one who's bringing these things about. God's behind the scenes and he is orchestrating these things. Life is not out of control. Life, life doesn't have a mind of its own. God is sovereign and mysteriously he works these things out for the coming of his purposes and of his kingdom. And so don't be shaken. Don't be uh, upset and worried that oh, life is just going to pieces. No, there will be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, and all those kind of things. And it will be a lot like what we experienced last year. Infernos of forest fires, mega hurricanes, a record number of them, weather patterns more severe, climate changing. And it seems like these things happen on a larger and increasingly terrible scale. But God's hand is still in it. Yes, there is judgment in it. There is that call to repentance that's in it. And Jesus says these things must happen because God is working through them and, and, and they must happen. They're under his control. But Jesus also says there, the end is not yet. So you can't say, well, because so many of these things are happening, the end is, is going to happen tomorrow. No, Jesus said, don't interpret them that way. They are under God's control, but the end is not yet. Rather, as he said in verse 8, these are the beginnings of the labor pains. And that's how the Bible looks at, you know, the whole creation is groaning in labor pains, waiting for the redemption that God is going to bring his kingdom when he returns, when Christ returns. Labor pains go on for a while. 
But after the labor pains, after the birth, then comes the joy of new life, you know, the new heavens and the new earth. So yes, there will be upheavals, but during those times, practice emotional stability. Don't panic, but look beyond them to what God is going to bring about. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't become pessimistic. Don't become fatalist. But seek the kingdom. Wait and work for it, even through the midst of all that. The third filter, verse 9 through 10. There will be persecution. Many will fall away and their love will grow cold and people will leave the church and they'll betray each other. And I'm especially concerned about that one. I don't know if any of you have heard of uh, a polling firm called the Barna Group. They are an evangelical Christian polling firm in California. And just in the last two weeks, they have told what they have found. They have been polling Christians. And they are predicting, uh, that's their prediction, it may be wrong, but they're predicting that in the next year and a half, 20% of all the churches in North America are going to close. And the reason for that is that because of this pandemic, Christians aren't gathering like we are here this morning. And they are isolated. They're by themselves and they're saying, you know, I thought so-and-so was a real good friend of mine. I thought we had a real relationship, but... Now that we're not seeing each other, they never call. They don't check me out. They don't see how I'm doing. Ah, forget, forget the church. Forget those people. And they walk away. One out of every five churches is predicted to close. And they also said 50% of the pastors want to quit right now because of, it's difficult. Yeah. It's hard to love. Love is hard work. And it's even harder sometimes when we have the kind of restrictions that are placed upon us. And it says here, Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, love grows cold. Very true. Uh, We are living in a time when there's great amount of misinformation and disinformation and chaos that is being stirred up all the time. And you don't know, is this right? Is this wrong? It takes a lot of energy and work. An increase of wickedness makes love grow cold. It's harder to communicate that love. I have heard of Christian families where members are no longer talking to each other because of differences of opinion about politics. We have a real challenge to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 verse 1. It says, make every effort to keep that. You cannot let that happen. You must love the brotherhood. Love the church. You must keep working at it. Yeah. That really speaks to me. And I know that the world will hate Christians because of Jesus and of what Jesus stands for. And we see that. We know that. And it's helpful to know that. Expect it. That there will be special trouble for Christians 
and ongoing, and it's here in the United States too. It's here right now. And the antidote? Love. Stand firm. Be assured that, and Jesus said here too, the gospel of the kingdom will go out. If you love, and you love your neighbor, and you love others, that you're going to tell people about him. You are going to do it. All of this is not going to stop the preaching of the gospel to all the nations. In the midst of all of it, just keep on being believing, worshiping, loving, faithful members of Christ Church and be happy that you have the privilege of speaking the gospel to those who persecute you. That's what's going to happen. And then the end, then the final end will come. And I want to just make you notice here that when Jesus is saying all this, Jesus is not saying, oh, you're going to get rescued out of this. No, he doesn't say there's not an escape here. There's not a snatching away. There's only endurance, standing firm, witnessing, proclaiming. You go through it. You do not get taken out of it. And so to summarize so far, when the disciples said, well, when's all this going to happen? Jesus said, well, one, there's going to be lots of false teachers. There's going to be uh, troubles of all sorts. There's going to be persecution, but be sober, doctrinally, stable, emotionally, solid, morally, level-headed, clear-thinking, warmly loving people in the middle of all that difficulty. And then Jesus goes into a chunk of teaching about the destruction of the temple, verses 15 through 28. And very likely that meant that when the Romans were there, they put some kind of an idol in the holy place, that abomination that he mentions. Luke tells us that, yes, this happened in AD 70 when the Romans came and the army surrounded Jerusalem. And we know that in obedience to this teaching that Jesus gave here, the Christians in Jerusalem at that time fled. And they went to a little place on the other side of the Jordan River called Pella. And in my background, the Dutch people uh, from the Netherlands in 1847 they fled the Netherlands and they went to Iowa. And in southeast Iowa, there's a city called Pella. They named it Pella because they were fleeing from the persecution of the government against them uh, in the 1800s. And they understood that what Jesus was saying is here, here is, yes, there's times when it is faithful to flee from persecution. So that's what they did. And that's kind of how this teaching is prophetic. It not only applied to AD 70, but it applies all throughout the time of history until Christ comes back again. There are times when it is okay to flee from those who persecute you. And fourthly then, in verses 27 to 30, Jesus gives another filter. And this is the time that he only directly answers that question about a sign. Uh, the only sign Jesus said that you should really look for is the sign of Jesus himself coming on the clouds of glory. 
On that day, that great day, the sun will be darkened and the stars would fall and everything would be shaken. And on that day, He will come. As lightning is visible from one end of heaven to the other, that's how it will be when Christ returns. And so He's sort of saying to us, you know, don't be so anxiously searching for all sorts of little signs. Oh, there's this and there's that and there's that and there's that. And eventually, oh, it must be close now. Jesus pushes that all aside and he says, there's one sign, my coming. Me, myself, coming. That's what will happen. And then a fifth filter in verse 36. The day is incalculable. No one knows, not the angels, not even the Son, only God the Father. And again, I don't know how often you have to say this. Nobody knows this time because it happens all the time. It may be someone who is in a dear friend in a nursing home and they read their Bible and they think, oh, I've got it figured out. Or maybe it's somebody in the Bible prophecy movement or a TV preacher. They claim to have it figured out. You just have to say, hey, look, look at this verse here. It just says nobody knows. It's not calculable. It will happen in God's own time. So don't let it stir you up. And then a sixth one, verses 38 to 51 I summarize it by saying this, preparedness in normalcy. Preparedness in normalcy. The times between Jesus' ascension and his return will be times of normalcy as well. Life will include all the normal things that God intended for us to have. Getting married, being given in marriage, eating, drinking, doing business, uh, being charged, and as Christians, being charged with responsibilities within the church and within the kingdom. Life will be so much normal day after day after day that some people will get careless of their spiritual responsibility to know and love the Lord and to be watchful and ready and to give their hearts to Him and to serve Him. And there are others who might even become disillusioned or lazy and they'll stop being fervent about worship. And they come to worship only occasionally. Or they'll withhold their spiritual gifts or resources from the church or from missions. Or even as verse 49 puts it here, they will beat and badmouth their fellow believers. And they'll run with the world instead. Oh, my master's gone a long time. That's the danger of normalcy. And then when the Lord comes back, suddenly they are unprepared. And no matter how close you are to another believer who might be fervent and prepared, that is not going to help you. You know, it may be your spouse, it may be a family member, it may be a co-worker or a friend, someone who is a model Christian, that's not going to help you. You are the one that must be prepared. And that's the danger and the challenge of living with normalcy. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when Christ returns. And I want to just throw another little tidbit out here about Bible interpretation because 
the term left behind gets taken from this passage but the left behinders I think have it just backwards here because in Noah's day in verse 39 it was said it was the flood that came and took them away so to be taken away is a bad thing the flood takes you away and destroys you and those left behind is a good thing Noah and his family were left behind in the ark they were saved today left behinders suggest that to be taken away is a good thing and to be left behind is bad because if you're left behind you you're going to suffer more but if you you know one principle of interpretation is that the same word usually means the same thing you know in 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 verse 1 and verse 2 it doesn't have two different meanings so if left behind is means to be destroyed by the flood then left behind would mean the same thing when Christ returns if you are left behind you're not going to be or I mean if you're taken away you're going to be punished you're not going to stay for the new heavens and the new earth so I think they miss that in this text but the point is this keep watch even in normal times keep watch because you do not know when the Lord will be coming and how should you do that how should you be prepared well Jesus explains that here in verse 45 following he says as servants of the master were put in charge of the household to give the other servants their food in its season in its proper time that is according to what they needed do that do that God has given you grace God has given you gifts God has given you love and you need to minister that to the other servants of God's household as they have need do that whatever ministry God has given you whatever opportunities whatever gifts just do your job gladly and faithfully love others according to what is good for them feed them nurture them encourage them care for them serve them that's what Christ wants you to be doing when he returns that's how you prepare being a faithful parent being a faithful partner being a faithful student a faithful farmer or businessman or church member or all of the above there's nothing bizarre there's nothing unusual nothing strange that you have to be doing to be prepared just normal faithful servanthood I like what Martin Luther said when he was asked once what would you do if you knew Christ was coming back he said I would go out and plant a tree the tree takes years to grow and bring fruit and that's what Martin Luther said I'd go out and plant a tree I would just live life like usual because we don't know the day or the hour but we do know the call to be faithful servants and so brothers and sisters having said all of this having heard all of these words of Jesus if we take them then I believe we are ready to handle the stuff that's happening that comes at us from the times in which we are living and we're ready 
to read the various prophets and their predictions of the second coming and the book of Revelation that does it more. And, and just as a little pump primer, I'm going to read a couple verses from the book of Revelation. It goes like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. The whole book of Revelation reveals it's from Jesus, it's about Jesus, and it's going to say what's going to be soon. And soon means what God has next on his agenda, the return of Jesus Christ. It's what God is about to do whenever God decides it's time to do it. And while we wait for that to happen, John says to us, here's what I am being sent on this island in exile because of the word of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours, have been exiled because of that. And that's how John describes our life and his partnership with us in it. He's a companion in the suffering, in the kingdom, and in the patient endurance that are ours. That's what these teachings of Jesus will help us to do, to endure the suffering, to promote the kingdom, and to wait and witness for the coming again of our Lord. You've got it. Let's take it in. Let's work with it. Let's read this gospel, read this book of Revelation, and let them help us be encouraged and to be faithful servants while we live in these unsettled times in this world that's groaning, struggling under the troubles of this age. Take it in, but don't be disturbed or frantic or overwhelmed. But be calm, be not afraid, be morally sober, warmly loving, faithful servants, because the time is near. The Lord is near. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me lead you in prayer. Lord, thank you that you care about us and the struggles that we face as we Keep the faith as we work out that faith, as we testify to you. Lord, we know and are so thankful that this world is in your hands and that you know and have a plan for our lives, for the church, and for the coming of your kingdom. And so help us not to be shaken or distracted or discouraged, but to remain faithful and keep our eyes fixed on those things that are above where you are at the right hand of God and that we may with anticipation and confidence wait that day when either you take us home or you come again to make all things new and that we may wait for and hasten that time 
by the way we live here and now. Keep us warm in our love for you and for each other. We ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We can uh, encourage ourselves also in the singing of the words of number 281. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore.